Today is the last day of our uh, series, Pain to Purpose, and before we get into that, i got some, some housekeeping we need to do. Um, first of all, Lake Charles, we're going on our mission trip next week. Remember that in this service, we will be streaming the service from Mount Olive Baptist Church. You're not going to want to miss that, so come up here. We'll have breakfast from 9 until 9.45. We'll have biscuits and gravy and sausage and all of that stuff that's just free for you. We just want you to come and enjoy fellowship. Do not bring the food in here. Uh, Jesus said no. You cannot have food in the worship center. Um, But come in here and just enjoy the worship time. It's going to be a great time. We had so much fun there this last summer um, when we got to worship with them. And so we're looking forward to streaming um, next Sunday. We want you to be here. Uh, Now, thinking of Lake Charles, you know, we've been taking up an offering. I think it was October, the first Sunday in October. I said to you that everything that came into the the leadership lunch was going to go and we're going to take up a special offering for Lake Charles and all that stuff. Well, as of today, you guys have given just a little over $14,000 to Lake Charles. So my, my deal was when I, when the Lord first put this on my heart, I thought, you know, maybe, maybe I can challenge these people to give $5,000. And then I went to the board and I said, would you match $5,000? And so we were going to take $10,000 and I thought that's going to be an awesome thing. The Lord said, watch this. And so now we're going to be able to take $20,000 down there. If you want to give the, the, anything that comes in through benevolence through this Friday, actually through next Sunday, I guess. Um, but we'll, we'll already be there. So anything that comes into benevolence, if you go online and you give uh, nlccp.com and you do online giving, there's a drop-down menu and you put benevolence. Anything that comes in over the next few days is going to go to Lake Charles. I can't wait to give them um, the, uh, the check and to be there with them. It just makes me a little bit emotional. So um, thank you for what you've given. Those of you who haven't given yet, uh, please be sure and get that on in. Um, Tonight is our Christmas celebration. Starts in here at 5 p.m. So come. Uh, we're going to have a lot of fun. There's usually laughter. There's, there's lots of singing. Um, there will be a, a candlelight at the end. We'll sing Silent Night. One of my favorite things is, is passing the, the candles, lighting it, and, and singing Silent Night. We'll go out into the living room. We'll have our, um, our Olympics and the first place is $200, second place is $100, and third place is 50 bucks. Uh, who couldn't use that right about now when Christmas chaos has already visited your house this year? Um, and then we'll go out. Actually, if you don't want to do the Olympics, you can go on out. We're going to have uh, hot chocolate and s'mores out here at the pergola, and then it's just a walkthrough. Um, Janie and, and Rachel worked really hard getting it all set up. It's beautiful. We did a walkthrough last night. And so we just want you to come and, and enjoy all of that. The, the fellowship is a blast. There's lots of laughing uh, at, the, uh, at the Olympics as well. It's, it's a good time. Um, let's see. Remember that two weeks from today. So it doesn't matter when I announce this. Y'all, somebody's going to get messed up and say, is it next week we don't have church? No, you're coming here next week. It's streamed next week. Two weeks from today, the day after Christmas, nothing will be on campus. We will be online only. We want you to stay at home. We want you to enjoy your family. But we will have a worship service on December 26th. Um, and then if you are interested in joining our church, I put that at the bottom. We, uh, we have a church membership class the 16th of January. If you want me to know that you're coming, which would be great because then we have enough food for you. And if you need childcare, we need to know that as well. But you put on there that you're coming to the membership class. We will feed you. We'll feed children if we need to. Uh, if you have kids that are going to be back in the childcare area, we go through what we believe is a church. And then we ask you, do you believe God has called you to join our church? You need to be a, a follower of Jesus Christ. And then we talk about baptism, all of those things. It takes about an hour. We'll have you out of here by 12, 15 or so 
on the 16th. And then um, if you believe God has called you to join our church, you just sign a little commitment card. I, I have accepted Christ, and I believe God has brought me to New Life Community Church to, to plant my life here. That's how we do our um, our church membership class. Now, last thing is today we vote on our budget, and it is vo- voting with no discussion, and it's only for those who, who are already church members. Um, it doesn't mean you can't ask questions, and, and you know that a budget is just our best guess for next year. If the Lord allows, we will do these things, and we will move forward, right? It's, it's all in his hands. So there may be things every year. There's things that come up that we didn't necessarily think were going to come up, and we may have to. the board may have to make some decisions, but this is our spending guide for 2022. So you can still ask questions. You can still take those budgets. You are free to do that and, and ask any questions. All the board members are on the uh, front. You can call us and talk to us anytime. But to, to get this out of the way uh, before the sermon, all in favor of our budget for 2022 say yes. All opposed say no. All right. So it passes. You still can ask questions about that. All right. Today's the last day in this series. And, and, and I know it's kind of a strange thing to be talking about pain when we're heading up to Christmas, but the Lord just kind of kept telling me to do more and more. And this, this sermon actually came to my mind, I don't know, three or four weeks ago. And, and I just felt like the Lord said, you need to preach this today. So this may be for you or maybe somebody who's online. God told Jonah, you remember Jonah, the prophet, God told Jonah to go to Nineveh. Nineveh was about 500 miles east of where Jonah lived. Jonah promptly went west. And his intention, I'm not making this up, was to go 2,500 miles west of where he was when God said go 500 miles east. Now, if you know anything about it, he runs and he gets on a ship. And and as the ship goes, what hits the ship? A massive storm. So much, though, that the sailors, they're worried about all of this. And, and along, sir, you need to read. It's only four chapters, but, but you need to read this because what happened was they, they cast lots. Who's the reason we're in this storm? They cast lots. It comes on Jonah. And they said, Jonah, why, why is this storm on us? And he said, well, because my God told me to do something. I said no. And they were in great fear of his God. And they said, what do we need to do? And he said, well, if you want to know the truth, you need to throw me into the ocean. And then it'll be calm. And they're like, no. So they throw everything else. It gets worse and worse and worse. They try to road ashore, it gets worse and worse and worse, and finally like, dude, you got to go. So they throw him over the rails, and the water becomes calm, and it says that the, those sailors went, they were in awe of Jonah's God, right? What happens to Jonah? He sinks, and God sends a great fish to swallow him up, and so while, while Jonah is marinating in the digestive fluids of a big fish, he prays to God and says, God, I've messed up, and God's like, it's about time you figured this out. And God has him vomited up on the shore. This is awesome. I'd like to just, I wouldn't want to be near him to smell him. You know the fish smell. Can you imagine digestive fish juices of fish smell? Vomits him up. He goes and he does what he's supposed to do. Now, my question is, why did this happen to Jonah? Was it someone else's fault? Very much Jonah's fault. So, first thing on your listening guide, sometimes we suffer because of our own sin. That's Jonah. This is something I don't know if you realize, though. Sometimes we suffer to keep us from sinning. And that's the story of Paul in the New Testament. Paul suffered pain not as punishment for something he had done, check this out, but for preparation for something he was going to do. One of the biggest lessons we need to learn in life is the difference between what we need and what we think we need. And it's not an easy lesson to learn. 
very often God teaches us the difference in those two things through pain and suffering. So in, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul tells that he has this incredible encounter. And he says, I don't even know if I was in body or if it was in spirit. He said, I was drawn up to heaven and I saw some things so incredible. And God said, you cannot talk about these things. And he said, I could boast about that, but I'm not about to boast. So here's what he says in, in 2 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 7. Even though I've received such a wonderful revelation from God, I'm not going to brag about that. But look what he says. So to keep me from becoming proud, to keep me from sinning, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me, and to keep me from becoming proud. He was given. This was a gift from the Lord. How can a, how can a messenger from Satan be a gift from the Lord? God allowed it, allowed the, the messenger to torment Paul so that he wouldn't become proud. Look at this. Three different times I did what? What's that word? I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. We sing a song. Your grace is enough. Your grace is enough for me. I'm not sure we mean that song. Because what do we do whenever we start going through difficult times? Do we sing? We, we get upset. We, we question why? We, like David in the Psalms. Oh, God, why are you going to forsake me forever? It may have been 10 minutes. You're forsaking me forever. Right? God said, my grace is all you need. And this is the, thing, this is the interesting thing to me. God didn't remove the pain. What he did was he introduced grace, a new ingredient. And if you're not a Christian, you don't get the grace of God. He introduces grace and he says, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. I'm going to boast about my weaknesses. Now check this out. That's why I take pleasure in weaknesses, in insults, hardships, persecutions, and trouble. Now, now here's the deal. He's not, he's not glorying and he's not taking pleasure in weaknesses, insults, hearts, hardships, persecution, and trouble that, he, that come on him because he's a Jonah. No, not because of his own sin. Look, he said... That I suffer for the sake of whom? Christ. There's a difference. He says, when I'm suffering for Christ, he says, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. See, Paul had internalized the, the words of Jesus in, in uh, Matthew chapter 6. Remember, Jesus is telling his disciples, don't worry about clothing and food. Don't worry about stuff. He said, the, the, the birds of the air, God takes care of them. The flowers of the field, God takes care of them. He said, don't worry about those things. And here's why he says, these things dominate. What's that word? Dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. That means it shouldn't dominate the minds of believers, correct? Is that a yes or no? Yes, okay. These things dominate the, the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows your greeds. It doesn't say greeds. Actually, I think he knows your greeds, but he doesn't care about your greeds. He cares about your needs. So here's what Jesus says to his followers. This is the beginning of his ministry. This is the Sermon on the Mount. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. You remember Jesus said, the road to life is very narrow and few people are on it. He said, the road to destruction is wide and lots of people are on that. The majority of people are on it. Here's the problem. I don't think most of us are seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I think we're dominated by food and clothing and stuff just like unbelievers. But that wasn't Paul. Paul knew Jesus said, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you greed, everything you need. 
God is not ignorant of our legitimate needs. Neither is he ignorant of our wants. But Jesus said, put God first and you'll have all you need. And this is where the confusion comes to us sometimes and even to an apostle. Because here's what Paul said when he was begging the Lord. Paul said, I need to be healed. I need to be healed, Lord. You know what God said? Nope. You need to be content. All right, so in our church, it was, it was funny because we had some guests last week, some, some cool folks, and I don't know if they're going to join our church or not, but they were here, and you would hear them say amen, and there was lots of interaction, and, and so it's kind of quiet today, and I'm needing some help today. So, um, so thank you. There's an amen. So, so you know people that have been in church because they'll say amen, right? Amen, even Jeff. Jeff's been here for almost 16 years at our church. Jeff still will say amen. Now, you know that years ago, we went to Walmart and we gave out food. We gave out free hot dogs and chips and free sodas and all that stuff. And, and there was this lady that came by. I'll never forget this lady comes by and we said, you want some free hot dogs? She's like, no, 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 no. We said, it's free. And she said, free? And we're like, yes. She goes, hold on a second. She goes and she gets her Suburban. I'm not making this up. She pulls right up next to the thing. So we're on the, not the food side, the other side of Walmart at that door. She pulls up her Suburban. She goes, I need some free food, please. And we're like, we got you. There were kids hanging out of every window that was open in that Suburban. And we just carried stuff over there, and they were eating it, and they were just having the best time. And this lady said to me, this is what she said. She goes, why in the world would you give away free food? And I said, because God has blessed us, and we want to bless others. She goes, hmm, I know that's right, baby. So... That's where that came from. Some of you, every once in a while, you hear, you know, in our church, somebody go, I know that's right, baby. Well, it came from when we were giving stuff away, right? Now, I know when, when, when I tell you that Paul said I need to be healed and God says, no, you need to be content. I know I'm not going to get any. I know that's right, babies. I'm not going to get any amens. So today, if you hear something and you're like, oh, say, ouch. If you can't say amen, if you can't say I know that's right, baby, say ouch. So I want to practice. I want you to say ouch. Okay, let's go back. Let's, let's play. That, that is so fun to have you all talking with me. I'm getting ready for Mount Olive next week, right? I'm, I'm getting ready for their service because, they, man, they get after it. Paul said, I need to be healed. God says, no, you need to be content right where you are. I want to, I want to hear. What do you say? Thank you. Here's another one. I'm just preparing. You need to say ouch. God is continuing. He says, you think strength comes from relief? Strength comes from reliance on me. Thank you. I've talked to you about Corey Ten Boom. She uh, wrote the book, The Hiding Place. She, was, she hid Jews until she was uh, caught, and she and her family were thrown into concentration camps. And many of her family members died in concentration camps during um, the German occupation. Here's what Corey Ten Boom says. You can never learn that Christ is all you need until Christ is all you have. I have a question for you based on Corey Ten Boom's life. When's the last time you thanked God for fleas? If you don't know the story, she's in the concentration camp. Many people have died, and, you know, if, if, the, if the Germans got mad at you, they could just take you out and throw you in the, in the furnace. They just burn you, kill you, whatever. And so she said they were in the barracks, and they started a Bible study at the back of the barracks. And if they had been found with, with a Bible or, you know, doing anything for the Lord, they would have been killed immediately. And so they were real nervous about all of the guards outside. And the guards outside 
refused to come into the barracks because they were infested with fleas. And so one of her friends, I don't remember if it was a relative or a friend, it's been a while since I read it, that night when they laid down after the Bible study to, to pray, she said, she just said, thank you, Lord, for fleas. My friends and my family are dying, but thank you, Lord, for fleas because we can worship you in the midst of pain. When was the last time you thanked the Lord for fleas? Mm-hmm. See, getting to the point that Christ is first and foremost in my life may require me to endure unfulfilled wants and for God to reveal that many of my requests are wants disguised as needs. Just a couple weeks ago, I'm a, I'm a, I guess you call me a troll on Facebook. I don't post a lot, but I, I, I scroll through and I see stuff. And somebody that I know said, much needed getaway for the weekend. And I'm in the middle of this pain series, and I'm like, much needed? Did you need it or did you want it? And nothing wrong. I, I love having weekends with Janie away. Do I need it or do I want it? I need coffee in the morning. Now, some of you are punks without coffee. I get that. But you've trained yourself to need coffee. Am I right? I need to sleep in on Sundays because it's the only day off I have. Do you need it or do you want it? You keep using that word. I'm not sure that word means what you think it means. You're getting it. So how does God show me that I have wants disguised as needs? He does it through pain and suffering. My favorite seminary professor used to say, suffering drastically reduces our wish list. And as I was studying this a couple of weeks ago, Janie, and I don't remember why this came up, but we were talking about being at a conference. We were talking about when we were in the valley, and if you don't know my valley, I can tell you another time, but we were in the valley of the shadow of death where we're like, God, if this is the way it's going to be, we don't want, we don't want to do this anymore. And we were at a conference. And I don't even remember what the speaker said, but I do remember. And I had forgotten this. Janie brought this up. She said, do you remember what you said when, when the speaker said, who needs prayer today? And, you know, people, there's, there's like four or 5,000 um, church leaders. Some are pastors, some are small group leaders. We're in this conference. And people are raising their hands. And they said, how many of you desperately need prayer? You know, some of us raised our hands. And the guy said, I want to know. I want you to vocalize what it is you want because suffering drastically reduces your wish list. When, when your daughter is going through what my daughter went through, you're not worried about a much-needed weekend away. And so I, I, I remember this now. I didn't remember it until Janie brought it up. She said, you remember what you said? And I screamed out, I want my daughter back. That's all I want. I don't want fame. I don't want riches. I, I don't even care if every seat in New Life Community Church is filled, I want my daughter back. And so then people, strangers, we didn't even know, they came and prayed, and, and it was just, it was a powerful time. And, and whenever I'm reminded about suffering and, the, and, the, and what suffering does for us, I remember it drastically reduces our wish list, right? God shows us through pain and suffering, and, and here's the problem. 
If we become bitter or critical of God, we're going to rebel against him instead of submit, then look at this. Our pain will work against us. God has to work in us before he can work through us. Here's the other side, though. If we cooperate with God, he has promised to use our pain to work for us. And you don't even have to be smart to make this choice. I have a choice. My pain can work against me or my pain can work for me. Even stupid people know that. I want my pain to work for me. And you need to know this as well. There's there's something called the companionship of suffering. And I have seen it in the church. I've seen it in in ERs and, and, and I've seen it at gravesides. But I've really seen it in the church. And here's what companionship of suffering is. When we humbly, this is humbly, I want you to say that word share our pain, it draws us closer to people because I know people who will share their pain and they demand that you enter their pain. And if you don't do enough to show that you are in their pain, you rejected me. I'm not making this up. We've had people leave the church because we didn't enter into their pain enough. And there's been times I'm like, I didn't even know you're hurting. Don't you put that on me, Ricky Bobby. You can blame me, but if you don't enter into and humbly share your pain, I don't believe I'm obligated by God to enter into your pain. That's on you. Now, if you share and I ignore it, that's on me. The fellowship of suffering. See, If we wallow in self-pity and refuse to share, then suffering is going to create isolation instead of involvement. And pain has no purpose in isolation except isolation. You want to hurt by yourself? You can. Don't blame the church. Don't blame the preacher. All right, so we're going to do something real quick. We're going to, we're going to do a word association. And, but, but before you tell me the words associated with this word I'm going to put up on the screen or Krista's going to put up on the screen, I want to guess your first two words, right? So nobody say anything. Keep your mouth shut. I'm going to give you a word, and then you go ahead and think of your words. I'm going to try to predict your words that are associated with the word I'm putting on the screen. Everybody with me? Everybody with me? Okay. Here's the word. Don't say it. I think the great Karnak, that shows how old I am, the Tonight Show, Johnny Carson, I believe your words will be rainbows and unicorns. Is that the words you associate with prison? Okay, we're just going to leave that up there just for fun. Somebody tell me the word, when you hear the word prison, what are some words that you associate with that word? Inmates, what? Bondage. Darkness, suffering, reform, I'm not sure, okay, okay, that one's out there in left field, somebody else, bars, okay, here's some I put down, cursing, some of you hadn't been correctional officers, cursing, yelling, murder, manipulation, all of those words, right, I got two more words, tell me if this, if you associate this with prison, worship, at midnight? Is that common in a prison? Okay. It wasn't in the New Testament times. Can you imagine being in a prison? You're doing your time. You're just minding your own business. 
And some home cheese in the next cell starts singing a worship set at midnight? I'm guessing that the folks, because this happens in Scripture, we're about to read it. I'm guessing that the folks that were in the prison thought they were nuts or they were really annoyed. Shut up! I'm trying to sleep over here! Right? Paul and Silas were beaten, bloodied, cuffed. They were in in stocks. Their feet were, not their hands and, and neck. And they were praying and singing worship songs. Now, you need to understand that what was going on was Paul was in the, the city of Philippi. He was preaching, and there was this slave girl who was a fortune teller who was demon-possessed, and, and her, her uh, owners made a lot of money off of her. So as Paul and Silas are going around telling people about Jesus, she's, she's following around, and she's going, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you how to be saved. So she's actually telling the truth. These guys are preaching about Jesus. This is how you can be saved. Paul gets annoyed. This happens for like three or four days. Paul gets annoyed and he finally turns around and casts the demon out. Get out, demon. Problem solved, right? Wrong. People get funny when you mess with their money. So they drag Paul and Silas to the, to the authorities. They trump up some crazy charges. They, they incite the, the crowd to a riot. They beat um, Paul and Silas within an inch of their life. They take them to prison. They throw them in jail where it says they fasten their feet in chains, in stocks. <laughs> and they did something that I don't think is very common in prisons. Acts 16, 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were doing what? Listening to them. Now, I don't think anybody doubts they were praying. Wouldn't you be praying if you were wrongly confused? And, uh, confused. Uh, what am I? Accused, not confused, accused. And you're locked up in prison, you're beaten, you're bloodied. I think most of you say, God, I need justice. They're praying and praising. Singing at midnight in a prison. And you need to understand, their prison's far worse than our prisons. But it didn't matter the condition of the prison. What mattered was the condition of their heart. And their heart was, you're still in control. I'm going to sing to you in my pain. And, And I don't know if you know this, but singing in the scripture during trouble is everywhere. One of my favorite examples is um, a vast army is coming against Israel. There's three different countries coming. They're combined and they're vast army is what it says. And King Jehoshaphat, one of my favorite king names, you should name your son Jehoshaphat just for fun. He's reigning and he gathers all the people and he's like, we're fitting to die. So we better go pray. So he concludes his prayer with these words. He says, God, that we, he concludes his prayer with these words. We don't know what to do, but our eyes on you. I'm going to tell you, I prayed this prayer twice this week. I'm not making this up. As I was studying this, I'm like, God, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. And both times God has answered my prayer. God was pleased with his prayer, with the humility. And so he answers and he says to him, I want you to march out against this vast army tomorrow, but you're not going to have to fight. You're going to go out there. You're not going to fight. And so they were so pleased with that, they sang praises to God right then and there. God, you're awesome. You're way maker, miracle worker, light in the darkness. You are. Right? They're singing right then. The next day they get up, the army gathers, and, and I'm guessing, I don't remember, it's two or 300,000 people from Israel are going up against a vast army, way more than that. And you know what Jehoshaphat does? He puts the worship leaders in the front. Can you see the New Life Community Church going out in battle? Desert storm. Waymaker, miracle worker. Light in the darkness. I need some Kevlar. 
right? <laughs> yeah, sorry, Lord. That's just the way my mind, mind works. Um, but look what happens in Second Chronicles 20, 22. As they began to sing and praise, look what God does. The Lord set ambushes against the men of Amnon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. Now, that's so understated. Vast, complete destruction because they're singing Waymaker. They come up to the edge of the valley, and all they see is dead bodies as far as the eye can see. And, and I know how vast this army was because if you got two or 300 people, 200, 300,000 in your army, the Bible says that they immediately go down and they plunder because that's what you did in those days. You got a dead guy, he doesn't need this watch anymore, you take it. It said it took them three days to cover all of those bodies and, and to take the stuff. That's a vast army. They, you are. I don't need Kevlar. And, and as soon as they gathered everything up, then they started praising and worshiping, worshiping God. Again, they worshiped before the battle. They worshiped after the battle. And the Psalms are filled with these things called songs of the night, is what Psalm 77, 6 says. Songs in the night. And, and I was talking to a lady this week, and she's going through something that, that is very similar to what we went through. And we were talking, and, she, and I said, I know how you feel. And she said, I know you do. That's why I'm talking to you. And so I typed in, as this was over Messenger, I typed in, I said, you don't understand that there were times that I would wake up in the middle of the night, and all I could do was sing. The enemy is attacking me, telling me, you're a failure as a dad, you're a failure as a preacher. And all I could do was lay there and sing, and I couldn't even, I couldn't even make noises. I'm just singing, moving my lips. And I talked to Janie. She, she said there's many times she's done that as well. You need to know that in the Scripture, over and over and over and over, people sang songs in the night when they were in so much trouble they couldn't even breathe. It would have been real easy for Paul and Silas to be discouraged, but they'd learned their lessons well. You see, the Macedonian vision... We talk about when, when Paul was called to Macedonia, it happened at midnight. It happened at night. So the God who called them to go to Philippi at midnight, had he lost any of his power in a prison at midnight? Absolutely not. They were certain God led them there. They were certain God was still in control. Now, years later, Paul is in another prison. <laughs> my brother and my nephew and nieces were talking one time, and, and you know, when the last time I got arrested for taking a gun into uh, an airport, they're like, oh, no, Uncle Doug got arrested. And, and, uh, and my nephew said, has he ever been arrested before? And my brother goes, no, 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 not Doug. And he goes, oh, wait, it's Doug. I had been arrested before. Paul, it seems like, was always getting thrown. Now, I, I have to tell you, I was arrested for doing something wrong. Paul was arrested not for doing anything wrong. So there's, there's a big difference there. That's why the, that's why the earth, anyway. <clears throat> so Paul's in Rome. And he's writing to this church in Philippi that he had started years before. Paul's in prison in Rome, and here's what he says in Philippians 1, 12, and 13. I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I'm in chains because of Christ. He was chained to a Roman soldier 24 hours a day. Every six hours, they would change out the guard. Do you know those guards are like, they're either saying, I'm going to be a Christ follower or get me out of here. Because you know, he's either writing to churches, he's telling them about Christ. you got a captive audience. 
He says, everything that happened is because of Christ, and everybody knows it. I'm in here because of Christ. God had taught Paul and Silas a great lesson, and here's the lesson. Don't just see the goodness of God in every situation. You need to sing the goodness of God in every situation. And I'm going to tell you why. Singing to God defies unbelief. People say, how can you be singing? Because my God is greater. My God is stronger. He's higher than any other. Singing to God declares that God still reigns no matter what the eyes can see. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, even if our God does not, he can, but even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow to you. Singing to God declares that since God reigns, God can rescue. We're going to talk about that for just a second. No matter how fortified the the prison or strong the chains, look what happens back in, in Philippi in the prison in Acts 16, 26. Suddenly there was such a what kind of earthquake? Why do you think it was violent? The God of the universe said, I'm about to let my my servant go. Violent earthquake. And the foundation of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. When did these men sing, before or after the violent earthquake? Before. They believed God and that belief showed up in their actions. Okay, now we got to jump back to the Roman prison for just a second when he's writing a letter to these people all these years later. He says, yes, I will continue to rejoice for I know that through your prayers and God's provision, the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I want you to say deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. Paul says, I know God's going to deliver me. What I don't know is, is is he going to deliver me through life or death? See, when you and I talk about deliverance, we're talking about getting free. Paul says, I don't know if he's going to deliver me to home in heaven or if he's going to deliver me where I still live here on this earth. Because, you know, the very next verse in in Philippians 1.21, you've probably heard it before. He said, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. To live means I get to tell more people about Jesus. Chain me to more Roman guards. Beat me up, throw me in prison. I get to tell more people about Jesus. He said, to die is far better because I get to go home in heaven with Christ. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Paul says, whether through life or death, whether I'm freed or chained, exonerated or executed, I'm praying that Christ will be exalted in my body. And that's how he could continue to rejoice in the midst of a prison cell. So God can deliver us from diseases, from from broken relationships, from depression. He can, and we should pray for those things. But we need something greater than how we define deliverance. We need something greater than deliverance from our sorrows. We need deliverance from dishonoring Christ in the midst of our sorrows. Because that's how people come to Christ. They say, how in the world can you face that? And it's because of our Lord and Savior. And that's the, that's the deliverance that Christ promises us in Scripture. So in every lonely midnight, we can sing of certain rescue, whether sound body or broken body, whether happiness or heartache, whether through life or death, sorrow will not steal my satisfaction in Christ. I'm going to pray that I will not dishonor him ever in the midst of pain and sorrow. Now back to the Philippian jail. As Paul and Silas prayed and sang, Luke tells us, We already read this, that the prisoners were listening to them, and it doesn't take long for someone new to join the song. 
Because the Bible says that the, the, the prison doors are open, all the chains fell off. Can you just imagine in our prisons if all the doors came open, all the chains come off? And I mean, there's just an open pathway. The gates outside, the walls, you know, on the, on the fences, they're all open. What do you think the prisoner's going to do? Run out. That didn't happen in this situation. The jailer, because in those days, if you, if you lost a prisoner, whatever was going to happen to the prisoner would happen to you. So there must have been somebody who killed somebody else. So there's capital punishment. They were going to die for their sins. The jailer, rather than face a trial, takes out his sword. He's about to kill himself. Here's what Paul says. Don't harm yourself. We are all here. And that's another miracle, right? Because if the prison doors are open, if everybody's free, they're not going to be sitting there unless the holy God has done something. And Paul was very much in charge. And God was working through him. That, when he said, don't harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer rushes in. He falls before Paul and Silas and he asks this question. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? I need to know about this God you serve. This is not normal. Tell me about him. And so Paul and Silas answered, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Reading between the lines, I think they were saying, believe in the Savior worth singing to in sorrow. Believe in the Christ who gives songs at midnight. Believe in the Lord who reigns and rescues. So the Bible says that that he took them home. He washed all of their wounds. They told them about Christ. He accepts Christ. His whole family accepts Christ. They get baptized in the middle of the night. And then it says in Acts 16, 34, he, the jailer, rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. A new household began singing the songs of Paul and Silas. Now, whether our songs are literal and they reach the ears of others or not, they will hear our heart. Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks or the mouth sings. Our friends and family and co-workers and neighbors will hear the difference between an inner grumble and a song of praise between a sufferer caved in on him or herself and one who miraculously, against all odds, lifts his voice to God and his or her hand to others. That's not normal. Everyone in the world knows of sorrow and suffering and how they desperately need to hear Christ followers singing in the midst of their pain. I don't know if you remember this, but Jesus, on the night before he was betrayed, he had the Passover meal. He, he um, shared the Lord's Supper. And then the last thing he did before he went out to the Garden of Gethsemane was he led them in a hymn of praise to God. Singing and worshiping in sorrow is one, just one of the ways that God conforms you into the image of his son. He wants you to look like Jesus. And he does that best, I'm just being honest, through pain and suffering. As we suffer with him in song, Jesus impresses these truths on our heart. Our God still reigns. Our God will deliver. I just don't know if he's going to do it through life or death. And I promise you this, I promise you this. Someone listening to your sorrow desperately, 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 you keep using that word and I know exactly what it means. They desperately need to hear you to sing of the Savior who always delivers. We just don't know if he's going to deliver through life or death. You become that type of person, God will use you to bring multitudes into the family of God. 
when you get to heaven, there will be a number of people waiting to greet you because your song in the night changed their life. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that um, everything we need to know is in your word. I ask for forgiveness when we ignore your word. When we act like a TV show is more important. Or we act like a sporting event is more important. TV shows, sporting events, they're going to pass away. But you said your word will never pass away. Your word will always accomplish what you send it out for. It will not return to you void. So God, in this group, those who are watching online, I pray that you raise up some people who come hell or high water will sing praises to you because you will deliver whether by life or death. We don't know, but you will deliver. Cement that truth in our heart so that we might live that truth in our lives. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.